What's up? This is, what is this? This is not a regular episode of Weird Rap. This is the Weird Rap Discussion Group, or Discussion Gang, maybe. Give it a little more street edge. Um, this is a weekly discussion that me and some folks are having over Zoom, uh, kind of rotating semi-regular cast of personalities, people that I think have interesting and passionate views on rap music and we just discuss uh, various topics. This one you'll hear is a uh, discussion of the Freestyle Fellowship Inner City Griots album with myself, Chief in the Doomsday Device, and Beverly Fresh. I'm not going to release these on this feed. If you're a subscriber to the Weird Rap Podcast, you're getting this one automatically, but in the future, they will be um, a separate thing because they're just a different kind of animal. Um, they will be available if you can. You want to see the video version? You see our dumb faces. Uh, you can go to Weird Rap. I mean, uh, YouTube.com/slash/WeirdRap. The audio version I will post at Patreon.com/slash/WeirdRap. It will be free, but if you want to have it download to your podcast app of choice then you would need to subscribe to the Patreon for three bucks a month. So that's how that's going to work. Um, but yeah, I hope you enjoy this conversation. I think we got pretty deep into the album and um, focusing on it allowed me to uncover some of the uh, the depths of it that I had never previously kind of gotten into so um i think it was an enriching experience for me as far as um appreciating even more than i had before this classic album and uh yeah i hope you like it as always you can go to weirdrap.com you can order t-shirts there you can see all our other social media links the band camp at which we have the uh weird rap compilation that features exclusive tracks with Cool Keith clipping and many more and etc etc. Uh, I love you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Weird Rap Discussion Group. Um, I guess we're discussing the Freestyle Fellowship uh, Inner City Griots album today. Classic album. You want to talk about how how you were introduced to this record, uh, Chief? Yeah, I was introduced to this record or to this record through uh, the song that I'm going to talk about later, Inner City Boundaries. Uh, it was very, very briefly played in this made for HBO movie called Strapped. And uh, I just remember, like, I was into the movie and then that song came on and I immediately stopped caring about the movie. I was like, what is that? fucking song who is that guy rapping it turned out to be that first ac alone verse and uh i made sure to read the credits at the end and found the song that kept talking about boundaries i saw inner city boundaries and uh the hunt was on from there and uh yeah opened up a complete world of los angeles hip-hop i didn't even know existed at the time so yeah i found out about that record pretty much in real time they were very obscure here. Nice. I think I heard um, Park Bench people either on Rap City 
or on the rap blast on JLB in Detroit. Um, and I only heard it like once or something, but it stuck with me. I wrote it down and I was, I was trying to find the record. I couldn't get it anywhere. Um, so I was always on the lookout and I think it wasn't until I think that album came out in 93 or 94. I think it was like probably 95 or 96. By the time I got it, I visited, I still remember buying it. I visited my uncle in Atlanta and it was at a record store there and it blew my mind. I was so happy to, to have it. And, uh, it was definitely not what I expected, you know, based on that. I think that was a single for it. Um, and, but yeah, I loved it. It was like exactly what I was looking for. Um, yeah, so that's how I found out about it. Yeah. It was kind of similar for me. I, I heard the, uh, bullies of the block on the radio. I was, um, I used to just like record off of this, um, this radio station. I would get out here in the forest, uh, that was based out in the Bay. I think it was the, the wake up show with, uh, Sway and King Tech and they had they played that Bullies of the Block single I think when the album was um just coming out and I somehow recorded it and I had it on this tape forever and um I never saw the the album in a store and I also I moved to Malaysia for like 2 years right after that so it wasn't wasn't finding much uh rap music aside from like what I could borrow from other people as far as new stuff so yeah it was um it wasn't until years later like 96 97 or something that um i got the full album but yeah it's uh and then you know by that time i was just consuming so much music i don't think i properly absorbed it at the time and i'm realizing now when i started reviewing it this week i still haven't you know fully absorbed it and there's a lot of it's also hard to make out the lyrics i realize there's a lot of lyrics that are tough to make out it's one of those albums i really wish the lyrics were transcribed because like like the online lyrics you could tell they're they're not correct a lot of them um but anyway let's uh let's go into this first track which is a little bit like last week quite a way to start an album Ah, oh, see y'all niggas is tripping now. I'm talk I'm talking about physical blood that you bleed. I am not talking about no motherfucking gang. God damn. Body slam. Programmer jam. Push the button. It's recording everything. Alright. Well hit that motherfucker eat. I would dodge on your blood, you won't budge. I would dodge on your blood, you won't budge. I would dodge on your blood, you won't budge. Attack with a lot of laughter while I'm steady capping your dome. With nine millimeters of chrome, flesh and bone marrow are thrown. Into your facial identification is gone. Long gone. I think I'm freaking you, ooh, continue. P.A.C. my jewel and the avenue, ooh, continue. Rescue the revenue, ooh, underground, 1,600 pounds of style marching. Look over the hill, brother man, you see I'm stalking. And if you get a zoom in, you can see I'm walking. In a pack of four, and what's the store? It's not for you, so boo, get it back to the back, take it back. Mm, freestyle, heavyweight.
So yeah, I, I was thinking a lot about this intro. I was just realizing, I think you can hear like the music through the headphones that they must have been listening to when they were recording. It's that physical form song, I think, right? From the other album. It's weird. Because that's not, that's not part of that song, is it? No, like the little kind of hissy music you barely hear. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that it like, that was just whatever happened to be playing from the other room or in the headphones while he was, you know, waiting to spit. Yeah, I just, oh yeah. I just wondered if it was actually just originally recorded to a beat and then they made it an acapella, but anyway. Yeah, possibly. I thought it was um, like notable that like right in the beginning, he's like, "Who is that?" By the way, do, you, do either of you know? Is it Peace? I don't know which one it is. I couldn't tell. But anyway, Rap, rapping wise, it sounds like AC alone, but uh, it could be Peace too. They both had real theatrical voices. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would guess it's Peace. He seemed. He has like a little bit deeper voice than AC. I think. Yeah. But anyway, like it starts off he's like kind of like arguing against with the the other people that are observing it sounds like he's like I'm not talking about like as if he'd been uh misunderstood and then they're like yeah we know you, yeah you hear them in the back and like yeah we know you're not talking about. And it's like this like tension that starts off the album that's like that I think is like sort of like one of the themes that runs through this album is there's this like these like four alpha MCs that are like you know they're like all solo artists in their own right and they're not necessarily like united all the time like there are definitely a lot of points where they're chanting together in this in unity and there's like so these like points where they're definitely um a group but then like i feel like this dynamic of like going in different directions and the strain amongst them which i feel like really adds to the uh, energy of the album and then so also right there he's like separating the he's separating himself or the group from like the typical gangster shit that was especially popular when the album came out like chronic had just come out i think pre pretty um recently before that so like just like los angeles gangster music was at its all-time high um and and even though he's like this is not some gang shit then he goes into like this very like violent like almost um horrorcore type of verse so it is like still very like you know separate it's at the same time separating itself from from your typical gang shit but also like a real element of um aggression which i think runs through the album which is also like pretty notable i think when you compare it to the previous album which was a lot more like um 
I felt like it really like smacked of like native tongues, like De La Soul influence and like much more like sort of peaceful lyrics. Um, and it seems like there's a, a marked difference um, running throughout this album of just much more aggression. I kind of wonder, A, like, well, the Rodney King shit had happened, like, before that, and the riots and, like, this whole, like, uprising, revolutionary type of atmosphere was in the air, which I, I assume probably influenced it. And also, I just wonder if, if, like, De La Soul, between their first and second album, they'd received some, like, you know, oh, these guys are hippies, like, these guys are all, all about positivity and the pushovers, so they felt the need to, in their second album, like, to be like, and we'll punch you in the face, like, don't forget. So, like, uh, yeah, that's how, that's what stuck out to me about that. And then, of course, it goes in the Boys of the Block, which is, again, like, on that aggressive, aggressive tip. Yeah, I wonder, like, yeah, I think that's a good point about the shift, and I wonder also, like, probably good life was happening at that time or was that later on uh good life was before that that yeah. was uh, uh this album came up sort of a few years maybe after good life had been running okay and i think something happened to self jupiter right when they released this album like he got into some sort of trouble with the law or something i don't know the details but I know that kind of stunted their ability to really tour it the way they want it. Yeah, yeah, that's a big part of this. The album. It seems like the, the good life, though, would be like a breeding ground for like that competitive nature, you know, to like make things just much more fierce. Um, and I, the, the thing that I really appreciate about this album is like there is that, um, like there's, there's violence, there's tension, but it's, it's, becomes like very abstract and stylized. Um, I don't know, a, a lot more fantastic, like like kind of different dimensions almost. And then also potentially different times. Like the, the there's like the line, look over the hill, brother man. Like it seems like, it doesn't seem like something you would say to your friend walking around LA, even though there's hills there, you know? Like it seems like another era and also like the the idea of the griot tradition like west african kind of troubadour reporting um kind of seeing all and kind of distilling that i think that also like harkens back to like uh other times other eras um other cultures and kind of bringing it into the contemporary sphere um so i think those are some of the ingredients that i that i liked about the record and and one of the, I think, curious things I'll talk about way cool later on, but I noticed there's a few times throughout this, like where the idea of cannibalism comes up, um, like the line here, I'll, I'll indulge in your blood. Um, you know, I think that, uh, is, you know, could be taken as, as cannibalism, Jeffrey Dahmer's mention. Um, and then later on, you know, several verses dedicated to the act of cannibalism. So it also, you know, that's, I'm, I, I mean, I'm sure there's some crazy stuff happening with the gang culture, but it, to me, that seems like not an act, um, that's being practiced, 
necessarily in, in LA at the time. It seems like an, another, another era um, that they're kind of drawing from. So I think that, that nonlinear approach is something that I, I really responded to. This, this album had a huge, huge influence on me, not stylistically, but just like the nonlinear aspect, how far rap lyrics can go, abstraction, um, and then also the acapella. I like I have acapellas on my record, and it's a big part of my live show. And uh, this this album and Dre Dog's first two albums, like the acapellas, and on both of those records, uh, definitely a huge inspiration for me personally. Noting when I was listening to this um, the other day that it's it's funny because it's like kind of your typical like misogynistic sort of using women song until the last verse. It's like three verses of that, and then Peace just throws everybody under the bus and says, "I would never disrespect a woman like all these guys have," and just starts talking about his. His beautiful queens. Um, I just thought that was hilarious. And another example of like kind of the the tension and the the uh, sort of non unity that that you see in some parts of this. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of speaks to that non linear approach and like the being like with the group that you cultivated and everybody kind of throwing in their own take on what is weird. Like I keep thinking about just rap in general is weird, even the most mainstream rap, because uh, one of the reasons I'm attracted to it as a genre is that it is um, contradictory. Like, you know, I think you can have a song about gangbanging and the next song is about why you shouldn't gangbang or about praising God or something like that. Um, and then, you know, about respecting women and disrespecting women. I think like it's the most, uh, kind of diverse in terms of like breaking out of a point of view or a certain mindset. Um, and it allows identity to be much more fluid. Um, so I think this album, I think is a, is a testament to that. So like, you know, everything's, everything is a little bit more like the first albums, you know, kind of like more mellow, the, the chamois kind of funny, but then it has that moment of incongruity at the end. Um, there's like battle rapping and then there's stuff that's just super dark. Um, so I, I really appreciate that there's like all of that thrown together um, in a way that kind of creates its own logic. Yeah. And the title of the song, everything's everything kind of speaks to that idea of the, 
uh, you know, everything being relevant and part of the whole sort of. Um, so then we get the interlude thing heat miser after that. What you gonna do with that bay? What you gonna do with that bay? What you gonna do with that bay? Well, eyes are heat miser, and I'm wiser than any other rapper, no matter the size. Girl, like guys, they are dies. I ship them up and take them up to Kaiser. Third floor, I was gonna, I was gonna throw one thing in too. Uh, when you play Shammies, mm -hmm. that song is kind of like this weird flip of a uh, for better or for worse by the Far Side, mm. where uh, the first three verses are kind of these slightly dark but playful. You know, I'm hollering at this girl, but you got to take me for who I am. And then the fourth verse is this fat lip going way off the deep end with that weird like i'm calling this girl with this assault fantasy kind of flip on it and then uh, uh but it's just funny how like the roles are reversed within the cruise to where shammies is like real derogatory and then peace comes in at the end and is like no let me actually save everybody's reputation here real quick while uh and both of them are from kind of the same area, right? In Farside, Los yeah. Angeles. Yeah, I believe they have some um, peripheral connection to that scene, but yeah, they're definitely from the same area. Yeah. I'm almost, I'm almost curious if a song like that was made sort of in jest or like to mock them, you know? Could be. And then I was thinking, it's probably, probably wasn't the intention, but you know, peace. He's throwing the others under the bus could also just be his angle at getting the girl. Just, just being like, <laughs> trumping them. All right. And then, yeah, this is six pieces, like solo song, I think, more or less six tray. doing some interesting things with rhythm in that for sure and uh i was kind of wondering if uh if it was a, maybe a little jab at the uh the compton legacy of easy e kind of popularizing the six four it's like like in classic cars i guess a six tray would would that be a little bit better than a six four i don't know you're a slightly more classic, like an uh, older style Impala. One year older. Yeah. It's also, it songs like that make me think that Volume 10 was a huge fan of Peace. Because they were all in that good life scene together. 
But uh, Peace just, his style, he has so much diversity within his style and mm-hmm. like such fearlessness with the way that he rhymes that it makes a song like that that could, I guess it is just basically sort of gangster shit talking or whatever, but it's so much deeper and so much more esoteric than that and not niche at all or not a, not kish or not kish, I should say, because of the way that like he uses a rhythm. Who produced that? I think it was like the Earthquake Brothers it said in the liner notes. I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but it's just such a crazy beat to jump on like that with such sticking your chest out type delivery, you know? Yeah, and from what I understand, pieces like a bit of like the loose cannon black sheep of the group, like you could kind of tell like in a way like this song and the last verse we discussed is like just shows A, how like kind of completely opposite ends of this of the uh spectrum he can be on from like super conscious to just super thug and uh and also just yeah just like this song itself kind of sticks out from the rest of the songs on the album it's just like this low rider song it's like it's a bit bit different it's like he's in his own his own in his own little world in a way yeah and zach you were right uh same writing credit for this is for the blood intro so that was peace yeah he kind of reminds me of like a like a reverend or something like he has that like biblical wrath that he's like throwing down on people it's like it's more than just emceeing he's it's a deeper power that he's harnessing to take you out. I mean, he comes from the Bible Belt, I think, right? He's from somewhere in Texas, I believe. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't think I knew that. Boom! Can't you understand? We've been running up an MC since 83. That's really dangerous. Nigga, don't get close to danger. You might get dumped on with equipment. Danger, don't get Jason brought up, you know, the idea of jazz, like the voice as an instrument a lot last talk with Latirics. And I think it definitely applies here. Like the idea of like the vocal soloing, you know, in danger kind of in, in unison altogether. And this like break off this fragmented, almost like, you know, like a crazy free jazz trumpet solo. Um, 
I mean, I think they, they're one of the groups that definitely mastered that, that concept. Yeah, definitely agreed. And uh, it was something they were conscious of too. Like, I think about this song a lot in tandem with the video because the video kind of really served as an entry point for the individual members, except for Self Jupiter, who wasn't there, unfortunately, because of whatever situation he was in. But to speak to your point, you could even see a lot of times in the video when Micah 9 is rhyming, He's also sort of like physically intimating trumpet solos, you know, and everybody's lined up sort of in front of a different jazz band element. And Daddy-O is a guest verse on there who Stetasonic's whole thing was about sampling jazz and reworking it, you know. So they definitely were leaning into that thing that sort of Diggable Planets was leaning into or... Uh, you know, I know Diggable Planets is like the easy one to pick, but a uh, tribe called Quest as well, you know, just really trying to educate people somewhat on jazz music, but more the jazz like aspects of hip hop. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I mean, I, I think what distinguishes them is maybe that it's more like Bitches Brew, you know, like a, that Miles Davis record as opposed to. Um, I don't know, there's something like more psychedelic, like more raw um, than like the Diggable Planets tribe, you know, use of, of jazz, I think is, is quite a bit different. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think like Bitches Brew to me is like the, off the top of my head, um, the best example where it just it becomes a little bit more dark and otherworldly. Yeah, I was thinking about this yesterday in that also I think it's notable that Daddy-O um, produced this and like Stetsasonic, I think, was like the first real jazz, did the first real jazz rap song. There you go. Yeah, that song. But yeah, like you say, um, Zach, it was much more like, their version, as well as, you know, the other groups you mentioned were much more of a straightforward kind of jazz style, which I'm not, no expert in jazz, but I think it might be like uh, swing jazz as opposed to like bebop, where, you know, like Stetsasonic would be to freestyle fellowship what, what swing big band swing jazz was to bebop or something. But anyway, yeah, definitely a much more uh, approach to jazz rap. There's definitely like a, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to speak over you, but there's definitely a bandstand showman-esque element to it. Yeah, did, did y'all see the, like, I think it was a promo for this, um, like this album, when it's like, if I can remember right, uh, when Chief was describing the the video for uh, Park Bench, people reminded me of it. They're like, they kind of do a little bit of verses, some verses from each song, kind of just fragments blended together. And they're like, I think it's black and white. And it's like, you know, like close-ups of their face. I think, it, I think it's mostly acapella. Um, I don't know. I'm just recalling it. So I could be fabricating some of this, but I remember that. 
um, also maybe being evidence of like this kind of setting up as this, the, the voice's instrument, because it was a, definitely a lot of acapella stuff and, but stylized like kind of like the, the jazz era of black and white, uh, visual stylization. Yeah. And I think, yeah, another notable thing is like these other jazz rap groups, as opposed to this one were much less aggressive and street oriented as this whole album was kind of set up to be. And, and like, as we're talking about like the promo, I feel like this album was really, it was poised to really change things. Like I think people saw the potential of it and saw how, you know, jazz rap had proven to be a success success, and so had gangster rap. And here was this fusion of them and also just crazy talent and spirit. And it, it seemed like, you know, people in the underground as well as maybe like, you know, the execs were ready for this album to really do something. And they, you know, they put like, I think there were three or four even different music videos made for this. And then, then uh, Self Jupiter, I guess, went to jail and that fucked it all up, apparently. Which it seems like that didn't need to just to mess up their whole thing like they could have just kind of been like yeah we're we're street even one of our members is in jail and they could have still but i, I don't could. remember the story seemed to be like the label was like oh he's in jail so we're not pushing this anymore i forget yeah well then they spoke about that too how the label because it, it wasn't really a normal thing per se for a rapper to be in jail signed to a major label to the point to where a label would back him out or bail them out at that time. Hmm. They also didn't really push back because they felt so accomplished in their own right that they felt friendship was more important than having to fill some obligations to a label. You know, like not touring as a full unit hmm. and not giving people what they considered to be the proper presentation or the full show. Right. So a lot of for personal and artistic reasons, but in hindsight, I've heard them say that they probably could have done something, but it sounds like it wouldn't have sat right with them had they done that. Yeah, I'm sure they, at the time, it might have just seemed like, you know, this was just a a small drop, like not necessarily like something that would affect their future so much. But looking back in hindsight, it seems like this could have been the thing that really put uh put them on the map and project load on the map but like like we said it, it wasn't even it was hard to find in stores it seems like it wasn't well distributed as a, as and it a, was like a subsidiary of a label so because it was on island which was like a branch of the def jam tree so without really the ability to push it the way the label wanted i'm sure that they were like we'll put it out and we'll let it do what it does, you know? Come like Bobby on the shadow of a doubt A curtain has closed from a glimpse of me Walking with a limp and a wonderful smile I draw up Looking down, nothing down the street Creeping down up in the center of the neighborhood Elderly person with the street 
just a new moral days If this is the ground we walk on If this is the plenty, come to the empty Stand to the sky all day and check Come to the stars of the day, get resty, rest Now, I forgot to screen share when I played that. Can you hear it just the, the same? Yes. Okay, it doesn't matter. But yeah, there's another example of the weird abstract horror theme that keeps coming in. Yeah, that was all self-Jupiter. That sounded like that could have been on the Grave Diggers album. Right. Yeah, I wonder, wonder what the influence was there. Yeah, that was like those dark moments. Um, I think, you know, way cool. That, that's Bomb Zombies, right? Yeah. And then the, the Heat Miser track, like, I think that also has, like, the, the, you know, there's, like you said, there's themes of violence throughout, but the, it's punctuated by the more abstract, fantastic, fantastic approaches that, to me, I think really separated it from all the other stuff that I was hearing. And it wasn't like, I don't know, like, gr- Grave Diggers seem more like a concept you know, um, and, you know, some of the other horror core stuff seemed like persona and this was harder to pin down and seem more complex. And that really intrigued me. Um, it seemed, you know, like they're like, you know, probing the subconscious or something like that. Um, with some of those moments where it gets really dark. Uh, yeah. So I think, go ahead. Uh, I was just thinking how there's cannibalism, zombies, and peace um, mentions like voodoo at a certain point, and the albums, you know, griots. So that those are a lot of like you know tribal, the dark side of like tribal African weirdness making their way in there. Yeah, and I think it it doesn't come off as like at least to me is like a caricature or like, you know, a cartoon version of, you know, like a horror movie. Like if you think cannibalism zombies kind of becomes like a campy horror movie, but it's, it seems to, to me, instead of referencing or pointing at those things, it embodies them and just, you know, really, um, you know, jumps into that spirit. Uh, and that's one of the, the things I think that stand out about it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of it does seem like, like you say, just like coming up out of the uh, subconscious or something as things do when you're freestyling. And and another question I had of listening through this album is how much of it was actually freestyle? It's hard to tell sometimes. Where in the hell did the hip-hop go? Where in the hell did the hip-hop go? Where in the hell did the hip-hop go? Yo, AC alone, do you know, do you know? Well, here we go, hot cake goes. Jelly bean banjo, candy stone. Polka dot backpack microphones. Shamalama ding dong doggy bones. Chippa chippa chop.
So I think I, I looked at this track closely uh, for this talk, and I just thought about now, like you get like the the wickedness of bomb zombies, and then cornbread comes in with where in the hell did the hip hop go in like a lighter tone, um, and then um, I don't know, it could be like like a self awareness, you know, like they they know they're getting pretty far out. <laughs> um, and they're they're kind of calling themselves out on it and then you know jumping into a more kind of typical not typical but more centered rap track than than bomb zombies um and then i think you get the jazz approach again that's maybe a little bit more diggable planets like uh like the more generic version of cool up front um and then they just like completely take it out into left field into another universe once the the verse kicks in um so maybe like in the beginning like you really want to play it cool you don't even know who we are like i'm thinking maybe that's like you know like they like again like the, the the macho aspect of like you know you think i'm cool but like you have no idea like how crazy i am or like you know where i can take this um and yeah, self Jupiter's uh, verse is, you know, about maybe rape, definitely, you know, robbery uh, and dismemberment and cannibal cannibalism. Um, again, the thing I think that kind of separates them from like shock or horrorcore rap is it seems much more literary with lines like dancing around in the yard, like after a murder. Um, and there was a storm that night, you know, like it just these like, you know, much more literal, like Edgar Allan Poe, or maybe in a contemporary sense, like Maurice Myers, like sense of, of horror. Um, and I think, yeah, I think those are, are, are some unique moments. Um, there's also, I think references again to like the idea of sorcery or witchcraft, like juggling jars full of souls. Um, dancing could be like a ritualistic act after the murder, uh, something like celebratory. Um, and then one, I think, I don't think this is necessarily true, but looking at this, doing a closer read, I thought, um, two words that stand out is he dismembered her with a shank, which, um, seems like an unusual choice of a, of a weapon. Like, you know, we kind of equate it with, you know, a handmade knife in from prison um and then dancing around in the yard you know my visuals go to like the backyard but it could be the the yard at a jail or a prison and maybe this he's incarcerated and he's kind of like fantasizing about this or this is stuff that he did and he's kind of reflecting on it um i don't know i, I don't know if that's all adds up but it was just like i think those were two interesting words that kind of took me into a different uh, realm of interpretation. Um, uh, let's see, I had like the idea of, of cannibalism and absorbing um, the victim's vitality, you know, like after he, he kills her, he dances around. So like this could also be 
um, you know, digging deeper into the theme of cannibalism. And from what I can tell, I think that self Jupiter in the beginning and then Micah nine kind of comes in, um, with the black cats and cataracts, dark omens. Um, so again, yeah, the, the imagery of omens, just the dark arts, dark shit in general, uh, he kind of takes everybody into the sewer where he's got his victims stashed. Um, at the end, he's serving up homo sapiens stew. Um, so he's becoming more artful, more, <laughs> more culinary, um, less barbaric, um, with his, how he eats human flesh. Um, and then I think peace is up next and he kind of takes it, maybe starts to equate cannibalism with just animal consumption, consumption in general, where he's finger licking human chicken, breast, legs, thighs, thighs, um, you know, so we can kind of, you know, that's typical parts of the chicken that we would get a bucket of chicken or something and, and, and pick out what you like the best. Um, and then I think that's further backed up by how do you get the meat out of there, suck it and throw the bones in a bucket. And I think that, you know, again, I think equates it to, you know, something that we might all do is like get Kentucky fried chicken or something, but he's equating it back to cannibalism. Um, or just the, the consumption of the animal, the human animal. Uh, and then I think it kind of shifts maybe more into, um, I don't know, like the idea of being in the sewer and what self Jupiter paints, like these just seem like, you know, uh, a fantasy world. Um, and, you know, or, or nightmare, and then he kind of brings it maybe a little bit back into reality um, when he says a swarm in the center, a circle with style change. And then after that, he's talking about elbowing somebody in the throat on the dance floor, uh, fingernail to the juggler vein. So it's still, he's still killing people, but it's less ritualized, um, but still very strange, but maybe more, you know, in the, in the real world, the, the stage is the dance floor. And I think AC alone follows that up um, with what I thought was maybe a little bit more just typical lyrical flexing. So it's like becomes a little less abstract, more about syllables and maybe even like an East Coast kind of flow. Uh, like I'm a wax, I'm a tax, I'm a break it back, got a wrap, got a trap and I got a strap. You know, that kind of stuff um, seems just a, a little bit more of like lyrical flexing but then he kind of takes it deeper uh, with the line. Then I go walking through another man's mind, chopping up his membrane, sliding down his spine. Um, so it becomes fantastic once again. And maybe he's personifying madness. Um, and he's like, he's the voice that's possessing these killings or, um, you know, the controlling uh, somebody's mind when he talks about I'm in you can't you hear me gnawing and sawing your bone? Um, he's feeding on you. Um, so I think this idea of kind of being embodied by the spirit or coming possessed. Um, and then he ends it with creepy, crazy, cool. Um, and to me, like I thought maybe the archetype of um, that mixes coolness and, and viciousness, like the witch doctor or vampires and maybe screaming Jay Hawkins is maybe a, a reference for that. Like somebody that's, that's cool, but out of their mind. 
Um, and then the, the last line, uh, turning around and around my darling is repeated. And I thought that, um, that could be like a spell almost like casting through this repetition again, kind of going back into the idea of, uh, of voodoo and omens. Um, and then we have the backwards record, which remind me of like the, you know, popular culture of like the devil's music or summoning up a spirit by kind of rotating the, the record backwards. So those are some things that I, that I thought about uh, for this track. Yeah, the opening kind of reminds me of like a black exploitation film a little bit with the soul sample and then the whole, do you really run, you know, you don't really know who we are almost. It's like a build up chant to get you hyped up. They're about to present you with. Yeah, this is another track. I really wish I knew how it was formulated or how it came together in the studio or whatever because it's like my guess my I was like imagining like okay the music just starts off kind of cool and mellow and then I feel like maybe just kind of a freestyle like play it cool don't make me and then the tempo comes up and they're like do you really want to play it cool because this isn't cool anymore this is like now it's like faster and like and then it's like so second guessing the original idea and then and then somehow that jumps pretty like far into like this real dark territory and then but yeah again it's also like an example i think of just such like far out like disparate kind of concepts from the like jazzy chorus to this horror core shit to then ac alone comes in and you're like oh this is like a whole different vibe kind of but then he then he just bends it into like also the horror core. And then right at the end, he just like, he, he slaps on the, somehow makes it work with the cool chorus again. Um, and it's just like quite a, quite a feat of like making this, these, all these weird different parts into a cohesive song. Um, yeah, I kind of feel like it must've been, there must've been like a, a sense of improv that allowed it to come together in that way, like a experimenting in the studio and kind of just building off of each other, off of the ideas. I don't know. Yeah, that was really good. And yeah, I think also I kept going back to like, why is this way cool? I mean, they mentioned it, it does have that, you know, that kind of mellow intro but there's really nothing cool about, about this. It's pretty insane. Um, and I like that, you know, the incongruity and complexity again. And like I said earlier, I think somehow they've kind of crafted their own, you know, their own dimension, their own, their work has their own logic. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense in a very literal way, but it does uh, have its own kind of rhythm and, and method, I guess. Yeah, by the way, I forgot to mention I posted in the chat um, this a link to this article that I recommend if either of you had read it um, from Passion of the Weiss from last year at some point. It's uh, just an article about um, the song uh, Inner, Inner City Boundaries and how it, how it was constructed, kind of. It's pretty interesting that they, A, I guess they only had 40 minutes to record it, and um 
Yeah, I forget, but uh, it's worth, worth checking out. Short little article. That's crazy that they were up against the clock for that one, like in such a constrained time period, because mm-hmm. it sounds like they really worked with it. Yeah. I'll just mention that the single version far superior in my opinion. They uh, totally kind of redid the song for the music video and single. Um, I was kind of felt like this was a little bit corny, this version, but yeah, it's got some Foo Schnickens vibes to it. Yeah. I love songs about food. Um, so, I mean, I, yeah, yeah, I love this one. I mean, just like he makes like chopping up potatoes like sound dope as hell. And yeah, I mean, I, even, in, even in the cornier version, I still love it. We got cornbread and potatoes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. And I also think like, I don't know. I, I like Cab Calloway and like everybody eats when they come to my house. Just like that. Maybe that's like that era too of like, you know, entertaining the the meals an important place. Um, mm. I think like there was, you know, the novelty of, of food kind of crept into some of the jazz and kind of swing big band stuff. And you know, that's maybe another like callback to that, but again, in like a much more strange way. talk about this one because it's always like uh heralded as the smoking gun basically that bone thugs stole their style from freestyle fellowship and um like i'd always kind of been like the the naysayer about that theory like well it's like coming coming up with like the idea of rapping fast and having melody is not like not that hard to do like a lot of rappers are going to come up with that idea on their own. Um, and then, you know, people are like, but you got to listen, listen to Mary and then tell me <laughs> they didn't steal it. And I, and I did, I listened to it a while back and I was like, no, nah, I don't really hear it. But then when I was listening to it today, I was like, oh, okay. I hear exactly the parts where people are saying that, yeah, it sounds very suspicious. Um, but then I had to also like recall that, so, like, the smoking gun part really is, like, A, the come follow me, like they say it in the exact same way as bone thugs do, come follow me, and also, it's smoking, choking. But my argument is that, A, that come follow me, it comes from dancehall reggae. Like, it's, uh, who's that? I forget the name of the artist, but he has a song called Come Follow Me that came out in like 85 or something that's like, come follow me, come follow It's just the exact same melody and rhythm and 
and it became like I think like kind of a trope in dance hall that influenced a lot of obviously dance hall and reggae influenced rap music a lot in the beginning. So I think it's safe to say that they could have you know gotten that from reggae as opposed to freestyle fellowship. And then the other argument is kind of like, well, they say smoking, choking, you know, and that's like, if you write like two rap songs, you're gonna probably, you know, two rap songs about weed, you're gonna rhyme smoking and choking, probably. But, um, and then the other argument is, well, listen to their first album, the Bone Thugs first album, and then listen to, you know, the one that came out after this album. And so, like, I went back and I listened to it today, uh, skipped through it. Um, and the fa- is it Faces of Death? Faces of Death, yes. Yeah. And um, they were just called Bone. They didn't have the harmony yet. Um, but I think if you listen to it, you'll find, A, like, the chopping, the really fast chopping is definitely there a lot. The melody isn't there as much, but there's a few, there's several places in the album where they do get into the melody um and there's a lot of elements of reggae in that album as well so that's my that's my counter argument against the uh the idea that bone thugs necessarily stole their style from uh freestyle fellowship that was good i like that yeah that was awesome this song also reminds me of Anna Lilia too. The uh, the AC alone solo track that he does, like Anna Lilia gets a little bit more into sort of a poetic, sort of circular thing. But I don't know. They kind of remind me of one another just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, AC alone really sticks out on this album. I feel like as the uh, he's kind of like the silly one on this album. And also, it seems like less, almost less freestyle. Like, it seems like it's more written, but, or it's, like, just really good freestyle. I don't know. But, uh, anyway. Cut showcasing the uh, the community there on their album. I was gonna bring up how uh, Park Bench People sounds like a Gil Scott Heron song a whole lot mm. as well. It's got that sort of soulful singing vibe to it. Yeah, I'm not that familiar with Gil Scott. Yeah, oh, and also 
Yeah, like a more of a poetry, like spoken word kind of delivery. Yeah, yeah, kind of when he got into like his singing bag more so even too, where right. so spoken word and then he kind of built into Jimi Hendrix sort of level singing, <laughs> you know, but uh, just all feeling and just worked really well with the jazz that was behind it. Yeah, it definitely doesn't remind me of any other rap song. And I think from what I can remember, it's a compassionate song, right? I mean, he could, I could be missing something and he's killing homeless people or something, but like on the, on the surface, it seems like a, a conscious, compassionate, you know, acknowledging the people that are normally overlooked. Um, and I, I like that again, that this, this record is so diverse with so many different emotions, conflicting points of view, um, to me, that's just like a way more realistic portrait of, of humanity. Um, and then, yeah, I think the, there was something about the, the next track, like the urgency. I talked about this a little bit uh, in, when I talked to Jason Furlow, but like that's something I just personally respond to is just like there, it seems like everybody's yelling on the mic. Like, they, like they're full throttle. They have to get it out. Um, and I just like that there's no, no second guessing, no posturing. Um, you know, it's, just, it's just like, it's something that has to happen. Yeah, the sequence of the album is pretty interesting. It's like it really, it doesn't flow. It goes from one extreme to another. It keeps like it almost like they purposefully sequenced in, in a way that no two albums back to back had, I mean, songs back to back had a whole lot of commonality, like sonic wise, which is, which is cool. I've always liked that style, but usually people try to sequence an album with more of a flow, I think. And then this is the Tolerate um, interlude, which I think is like a, it's a redo of, of something that was on the first album, but it's a, it's a great chant. We are not your O-R-D-I-N-A-R-Y-R-A-P-P-E-R-N-I-G-G-E-R-S on our chest is wickedness. The press is telling us lies. We will not tolerate white men grabbing black men, taking them home, chopping the bones and smothering them with plastic and dipping heads in acid. Wonder if Dahmer dies. We will not tolerate Del Gates, hates, beats, blacks, creates mistakes, false facts. Fuck that. Get my gut. That was kind of interesting that, uh, you know, they referenced Daryl Gates in the first album before he became world famous, basically. And then by the time this came out, everybody knew who that was. So it had a different sort of relevance. Yeah, that is interesting how they can be so artistic, but still be so like on the nose when it comes to that Los Angeles energy. But I think that just comes with being raised in that environment. Yeah. I know militants, a revolutionary black militant aspect of this album that was you could hear a little bit on the previous album but it's much more 
announced. I was noticing something. I looked, uh, I'm looking here at the album credits. Mm-hmm. And Heavyweights had a couple of uh, guest spots that they didn't list on there. Oh. Yeah, Volume 10 is on that song, and Ganja K is on that song. What do you mean? They didn't list it in the... Where? Like, just like on the back, you know, it doesn't oh. say feature and such and such. Like, right. Like, technically, they don't list Daddy-O on Inner City Boundaries either, but... uh. Right. Yeah, I forgot how many people were on heavyweights just because it's like a big freestyle session. Yeah, that could have just been an administrative oversight when you've got a major label involved with your art direction or whatever. Yeah, plus Volume 10 ended up on a different label, so, oh, yeah. you know, not trying to promote the other label. <laughs> how the album ends. Yeah. Good album. Yeah, there's so much going on musically too. I noticed in the uh, liner notes I looked at online, there's just like so many different producers and live instruments involved in the construction of this album. It's like they really brought in everybody to work on it and it gave it quite a quite a textured variety. But man, if any album deserves like a thirtieth anniversary edition, like I don't think they ever came out with that for this album. They never came out with a deluxe edition or whatever, but I feel like, A, like, the mixing, like, it could use maybe a little remastering, maybe. Because it feels, like, a little muddy a bit. And also, there's, like, you know, bonus tracks from, like, the B-sides that came out on the singles. It could add a few tracks. Maybe. Yeah, even that last track, I'm not that familiar with because it wasn't on the tape. Right, right. Yeah, that was the only track. And I came up, I, I came across a song yesterday that another song that Daddy O produced for them, which I guess, I imagine it must have been during the same period, but I don't know. It was called uh, 
one style at a time, um, which I recommend checking out for sure if you haven't heard it. Uh, it's pretty good. It has like a, a Pete, uh, what's his name? Uh, a nice Pete Nice sample, in it, I think. Maybe I'll play it. It's like from a third base, Prime Minister Pete Nice. No, uh, not Pete Nice. Nice and smooth. Nice and smooth guy. Oh, uh, Greg Nice. Greg yeah, Nice. Greg nice. Yeah. This is that. This is that song. Code ghetto style. I break into a crowd, split splend, then go pluck wild. Texas lasso, sex poop in a loop, that's how I get y'all. Did the damage, but my girl is smile. Stop my flexing on the power for a while. I'm water full of your nutrients like the now. Touch your body, yard, or a mile. Fuck around and have to dunk down. Pause! First style upon style. In. Styles upon styles, but I don't think so. Cause people only rock one style at a time. Styles upon styles, but I don't think so. Cause people only rock one style. That's a that's That's smooth beat. Smooth. uh, Yeah, that's a smooth beat from Nice and Smooth. Right. He was he was the cool one. Right, right. Yeah, I never heard that. That's cool. Yeah, it's weird that Daddy O worked with them, but I guess he was like quite of a quite a mover and shaker at the time as far as production and having his hand in different things. Yeah, I think I think Stevasonic also kind of had a rough falling out as well, because all those guys went vastly different directions. You know, like yeah. Prince Paul was Prince Paul was super young when he was with them, and then took Daylaw to another level, and Fruitquan kind of faded into obscurity before he came back onto the scene with Grave Diggers. Ironically enough, but yeah. They seem to have like they were on the verge because even in inner city boundaries, Daddy O kind of addresses like solo no longer with the crew, you know, shave the flat top and all this stuff. Yeah, well, seems they, to- yeah. <laughs> they were a really diverse group too. They had a pretty eclectic um, range of styles in their in their music. That's a sonic. So yeah, I, I could see having creative differences maybe within the group. I think I heard Prince Paul's account of not really ever feeling like he had much of a say creatively in it. Yeah, I think he was literally like 15 or 16, though. He was like a kid when he was with Stevasonic. Yeah. Did you guys ever see uh, Freestyle Fellowship live? Yeah, yeah, I had a... I had the chance to see them live and I was so upset at the sound guy because I was like you don't know how legendary this group is and how awesome this performance is and how you're just fucking up here like just like distorted bass like the sound was so bad and I was that guy and actually that's the first of two times that I saw the second time when I saw Haiku de Ta I was also hounding the sound guy I was like what the fuck are you doing like I got, I think, well, I, I almost got kicked out that second time, but um, 
Yeah, I saw them those two times. Or, yeah, Freestyle Fellowship as a group. I just saw that once. It was great. I was unfortunate. What year was that? Ooh, it must have been about 12 years ago or something. I don't know. 10 years ago. Maybe. I feel bad because I feel like I've seen them. But it was right in the heart of the time when my crew was playing a lot of shows and I was going to a lot of shows. So, like, I know I've seen AC alone and I know I've seen Micah 9. And I feel like I've seen Peace. But I can't remember if I've seen Freestyle Fellowship as a whole. Yeah, I've also seen um, Micah 9 a couple of times once. Once was in Truckee, which is this shitty little ski town in uh, near the border of Nevada, and it's like it's just just this tiny little bar, and um, and <laughs> Micah he was like drunk, and I was like, oh man, this show's gonna suck. He's so drunk, but then when he got on the mic, he he fucking killed it, like and just like. It was, it was amazing, like, how, like, dexterous and precise he was, even though I knew how drunk he was. Like, it was fucking great. Um, that amazed me. And then the other time was I saw him in my hometown here in Nevada City, just a bunch of, like, hippies and, like, dubstep bros and, like, just, like, not your, not the kind of crowd that knows who this guy is, even. He opened up for uh, A+. Plus was the headliner I think and uh but even though like yeah the crowd didn't know who he was really but it was reasonably well attended and then he just got him in the palm of his hand pretty quickly though like he did a, another really awesome job and like one thing that I think is really also notable about Micah as an MC is how he does not yell on the microphone. Like he, kn he knows that he can command a crowd and get them like, suck them in like through his like just his spirit and vibe and I don't know like a sheer. Like, there's another way to command the stage than by yelling at people, which is a mistake that so many people make. I think. Um, yeah, that's great. I I don't think they came out to the Midwest really. Um... So yeah, I, I never caught them together. I just saw AC alone once, but it seems like their their stuff is like, you know, would really translate well live. And I, I mean, I even watch like the, like go through YouTube and watch Good Life videos, even though the sounds like all blown out and stuff. Like, I just you know, I think there's like an an energy there that's really great. Yeah, it seems like they've never had a great concert booking promotion team or i don't know the times i've seen them it's just like these shows where i don't know who organized them but i think it's them man i really feel like when it's uh outside of just maybe ac alone solo shows it's like them doing it yeah they could use a little help there i know mike nine is pretty hands-on so Jonah, do you or do either of you guys have any connections to them? I think it'd be great to to talk to anybody from there, you know, about this album, about their process, like you mentioned a few times. 
Uh, nothing other than just playing shows and seeing them, but don't know them on a personal level. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in touch with Micah, you know. Um, he's a little – usually wants money for <laughs> whatever he's involved in. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't even ask him for this. Like, I had half a mind to ask him, but I didn't want him to have to shake me down for money. And <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I get it. But, yeah. But yeah, I think, I mean, like, just for me personally, uh, you know, hearing about the, the process behind New Kingdom was like a dream come true because that was one of the albums and, like, projects that was like, how did, how did this happen? Um, and I think this record for me is another one like that. I just, there's so much mystery in, in how it, how it came together and what's behind it. Yeah. It's definitely a goal of mine to interview. Like I want to interview peace anyway, and AC alone. Um, I hear AC Alone's pretty hard to, to get for an interview, which makes me want to get them more. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And also the, I don't know if this is interesting or not, but the, like the for like a brief moment moment the intersection with like like the mostly white internet hip-hop of like the late 90s um which i feel like a lot of those mcs myself included were like influenced by them and the culmination of, of like at scribble jam like idea battling peace um I thought it was you know like a strange moment like I, I'm I, I didn't know idea personally but like I can imagine he was influenced by those guys. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. The Anticon guys, I think. Yeah. Always citing them, but at the same time, yeah, and then the dose peace battles are kind of legendary. Right. Fun to yeah. work on. Um, but yeah, I think. Uh, I'm sure there's there's a lot of tension. There was a lot of tension in there. Maybe still is between the the whole, you know, and that's another thing I um was thinking about the uh Inner City Boundaries song, which is essentially when you read the lyrics is about like this kind of black solidarity like creating a boundary like no devils allowed kind of a and that no in the circle yeah i mean they literally say that <laughs> and you know and that's another thing in project bloat i remember like the that one song was it the the female duo hip-hop is not for crackers <laughs> like i always felt a little like oh man come on <laughs> a little hurt by that um but yeah it's uh i'm sure there there's some deep feelings there about the whole white take over the underground and appropriating their style. I mean, statistically, there are more white people than anybody else. So it makes sense, you know, people gravitate towards good shit. So you can't really be too mad, you know, but I get it too. It's about a ownership thing and about a recognition. Yep. Yeah, it's a thorny, thorny subject for sure. But I, I, I do enjoy kind of trying to dissect 
Yeah, and I think I, I mentioned this in the interview with Jason, but like the, I think the two documentaries I saw on on Project Blow, Good Life, um, like didn't really get at the craft, and like that would that would be something like I'd love to hear them talk about just, you know, the approach to writing songs, how do they think about delivery, what's the process of like testing things out, freestyle and integrating written. Um, I mean, all of those things I, I would like to, to hear them talk about because in, in the documentaries that it just kind of glosses over that stuff. Yeah. When you mentioned that, that totally resonated with me and that it's something I want to know as well, but it's like, I was kind of like, well, how, if I were to interview any of these guys, I'm going to be able to ask them, like, how would I put that, put those questions into words and would they be able to talk about it or is it maybe a lot of it more like just kind of this you know this inspiration this uh intangible kind of thing that bubbles up when you're in the zone i feel like maybe that's where a lot of it comes from but but yeah maybe you could help if that time comes to formulate it and put those questions into the words yeah to get people to talk about it more yeah, I, yeah. I think what you said, how it's you know, it's hard to kind of pin down and put into words or articulate what you know if they're catching the the spirit or the vibe, and that's basically what ha what comes across in those documentaries is like it's you know something they're catching the vibe from somewhere and they they follow it. Um, but I feel like like if you do if you work at it that much you get beyond that. Like, even though you, there is truth to that of like catching the Holy ghost or whatever, but like if you're working at your craft that long, you know what you're doing. Like you're, yeah. you're making conscious decisions one way or the other. Um, and of course there's things that are unexplainable that happen, but um, I think, you know, and I think it's also, it's a difficult thing to understand if it, even as an artist, as the creator, the author of the work, Sometimes it's hard to understand what you're doing. Um, but I think if, and so to say that, oh, it just comes to me as an easy, easy way out. Um, but I think, I feel like there's a way that we could figure out how to frame it. Yeah. Maybe get into the details. Yeah. Maybe even just going into the lyrics and just breaking it down line right. by line, look bit by bit could be a, a good way to get insight into that. Yeah. All right. Yeah, this was cool. Thanks, guys. Bye. Take care. Have a good night. You as well.